Hello. Hello. You like that new song that we have? <laughs> yeah, like a banger, dude. Is that what the kids yeah. say these days? Banger? Oh, I wouldn't. Oh. <laughs> I feel like if I if I try and say those things, it just sounds creepy now. <laughs> like I'm 33, I think. Creepy. Like I could say it jokingly, but I I know it's not gonna land, and it's only making me laugh. <laughs> like I have I have employees that are young; they're like 18 years old, and if I if I say lit, it's hilarious for me. <laughs> but they roll their eyes real hard, I, and I feel like I pay a price. I'm finding it pretty funny, honestly. <laughs> say oh, on, when hey. I say lit, <laughs> yo, this story's so lit. Yo, bro. This stuff Bro. is lit, dude. Like, oh my god, look at that. This is a banger. So lit. Flames. I don't know. That, that'd be this a long gone time for that to be long. said. Because... Welcome back to the Banter Book Club. Sorry, I cut you that's off. That's fine. That, that's first of many, I'm sure. I'm Taylor. And I'm John. And this is the second take. This is episode three. Take two. Just of the intro, though. We didn't script the whole you thing. Do you hear the, the clack? Oh, yeah. That's, there we go. Clap. Clap. There we go. Yeah. Uh, now everyone knows. Take, take three. Yep. Take um, three. Take seven. We ended last episode talking about the Chandrian attack, a pivotal moment in the whole story, the whole series. Yeah, it is. Uh, and now we're one of the beginnings, as it were. And now we're uh, we're headed into the feral stage of Quoth's childhood. Yes. There's some really creepy descriptions of how he reacts to the the Chandrian attack. I think it actually some of it happens before or it might, maybe it's after where he he walks like was it 20 yards or 200 yards or something to find his parents caravan and he just sat in it for a while and just denied the fact that it just happened. Yeah, he he was basically didn't he sleep too? He slept amongst uh, their their dead bodies. <laughs> oh, maybe, but whatever it was, it what it seemed eerily accurate to how someone would deal with or not deal with an actual trauma. Yeah, like, I'm just gonna go to I sleep. I wonder if he's dealt with... Everything's fine. I'll wake up and this will all just yeah. be a dream. The only place in the world that you know is also now your worst nightmare. So what do you do? Yeah. So, he gets out of there. He gets... What does he take with him? Not much. His father's, His father's loot. father's loot. That's pretty much it. I think he doesn't really have the presence of mind to do much else. I think uh, I think we may have touched on it a little bit, but the the different uh, the doors of the mind is sort of. Uh, oh yeah, I think this is either the introduction or one of. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it is the. There's f so there's four doors. What are they? The first one is sleep. The second one is forgetting. The third one is madness, and the fourth one is death. Yes, I think. Yes. And I like the idea of, you know, these four doors of reality or the four doors of the mind. Yep. But it does seem a bit much to me. Well, it's, it's just they're just doors that uh, your mind or your body, one of them will, or your consciousness, I guess, will, will open when they need to protect themselves, right? So. Right. They're. I think. Maybe there's something wrong with my brain because I am constantly going through that forgetting door. <laughs> I got yes. I got so much stuff behind that door. What is it that you're trying to that your your subconscious is trying to protect you from, Taylor? <laughs> People's names, birthdays. I don't know your birthday. You're one of my best friends of my my whole life. I don't know when your birthday is. It's coming up. It's close. Okay, don't let, don't let me forget it. Warn me. Uh, my birthday's coming up. 
Okay. Yeah. Cool. Do it. Aud yeah. The audience will want to know too. My birthday. It's coming up. Oh, there was one cool scene. I, I call it scene. Like just it's a movie. one. No, but the the part where he's either dreaming or uh, hallucinating about like wilderness tactics, like how to oh, yeah. how to act. And it is a really cool scene where it, it goes back and forth between his father speaking and Abanthi speaking, and then uh, some other character who used to teach him uh, wilderness woodcraft. tactics. Wood, yeah. yeah, woodcraft is what they call it, yeah. But there was all good information. Kind of, I think that is spanning a, a pretty decent chunk of time. That's not all just one day. And there's like a. Yeah. I guess the first. this is the first montage of the book. Yeah, it's like a montage, and it also is sort of like his his mind has gone through every door but death here, pretty much. So he slept. Uh, he does forgot. all this to bury, yeah, to bury this down and forget it. And he he gets a bit of madness. I mean, he's seeing and hearing people that aren't there. Oh so. yeah, true. But this is also where he, I mean, he was being taught music before, but this is where. We really learn that he yes. uh, he can play the world. This is sort of the uh, unofficial introduction of something that we will learn about much later, which is the sleeping mind and its ability to really take in the world in a way that our our conscious mind cannot. And I think that's why he has he can play things that are feelings and sights things that shouldn't really be playable right like he knows every creed song and <laughs> which should just three doors playable. down i mean let me let me ask you this okay this what is a was very that? serious question if okay. i go crazy will you still call me superman <laughs> <laughs> i'll be your kryptonite oh that why did you make that sound sexual <laughs> oh oh uh, Promise? Like, baby, come be my kryptonite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he becomes a little wood nymph for a while. Yeah. He plays... Uh, um, I love the Zelda series, or I guess I love the old Zelda series, the one on the Nintendo 64, um, Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm, and the mm -hmm. first village where you start is like the... Uh, it's Yeah, it's the woodland area. And there's one dude that's in the forest... And he's just he just sits on a stump and plays a flute for essentially the whole game, and that's kind of what Quoth is for this this little bit. He's just surviving in the woods and just playing his lute and rejecting any thought that comes into his mind that might remind him of his life from before. Is this a uh, is this a safe space? Uh, probably not, according <laughs> to people who designate safe spaces, but, I mean, I, I think for you and me, this is pretty safe okay, space, yeah. Okay, I never played Ocarina of Time. I think there would be a time in my past where I would have yelled at you. But that is not, that is not this time? I think I've really progressed as a person. Oh. I'm, I'm allowing people to like and dislike their, their own things. Not everybody had Nintendo. I get, I get it. I get that. Yeah. Um, but I am not going to be able to think of you the same, <laughs> quite, quite the same anymore. Uh, okay. What's next? Uh, so <laughs> he, he basically he plays until 
he breaks too many strings to the point where he cannot play anymore. Even when he breaks the first couple, he relearns to play th without those strings. But uh, once he breaks, what, the three? Third. Yeah. yeah, the third, uh, he can no longer... Uh, it sort of snaps him out of this uh, this state a little bit and brings him to the realization that he needs he more needs strings. I think that's as far strings, as he yeah. takes it. Yeah, yeah, I need to fix this loot. What do I need to do? To fix this this loot? loot is literally everything. And yeah. Without its music, I am nothing. I need more strings. So he finds his way to a road, and he's really scared of people for a while. He he uh, hitches a ride with a nice old guy and his son, and they they just think he's a normal kid for a while until they drop him off in Tarbian, and then they ask him. Like, uh, you want to take some of this squash to your mom? And then Quoth starts freaking out. He's, he's being faced with thoughts of his family for the first time, and they see that fear on his face, and then they they get apologetic. And it's like, well, if, if anything happens, we'll be here at the end of the day. You can come back with us if you want to. Before he enters the hellhole of Tarbian, he actually meets some kind of nice people. Yeah. And he has an out, and he, he tries to take it later on, because he kind of gets lost in Tarbian, and his first day there does not yep. go well. Um, but by then they're gone, or he can't find them, so he gets stuck here. He gets lost, yeah. So, yeah. He's still pretty feral. So as far as uh, Tarbian goes, compared to the wilderness and life on the road as a, as a trooper of the Adimaru, I think it's said that you could walk for a full day and not make it all the way across this city. This is a massive sprawling metropolis as it as far as uh, it can go in this time and it's not i mean it is a little bit civilized but it's also populated with like predators well like you can't he's all he's always in there's dockside and hillside right he's always in dockside because that's where the urchins and the and the homeless are so he's always there so he is surrounded by predators yes but hillside, I'm. Sh I think He's it's always very nice. dockside. Yes. Okay. Hill, there's because it's hillside and dockside. Hillside is where he goes that one time. He tries to beg there. He gets like a, a silver yep. talent, and then that that shopkeeper like points he gets him out the and shit yeah, beaten the, out of him. That guard comes over and beats the crap out of him, yep. and he does not come back hillside until I think the uh, the festival with the demons. Which he earns himself another beating. Yeah. Who beats him up that time? That time is. Was that not the guard? Maybe that was I the guard. I think that was also the guard. Yeah, it was the. It was like a multi-day festival. Okay. Yeah. So. And uh, what happens he the gets. First? What? He. The and the first time was just Pike, I think. Not in no with... Pike. Pike uh, beats him up in in Dockside. Right, I think the first beating. Maybe, maybe the maybe that festival was the was the the time he learned not to go hillside. He just never did it before because he probably learned from the other urchin kids, like oh, we don't yeah. see that no one goes up there. And he finally, curiosity finally uh, made him think, why does no one go up here? Like this is perfect, especially when he starts his begging and, and right. gets so much money. And people are kind of nice to him. They're they show pity on him yeah. but then he gets corrected yeah but i mean if we're if we're talking about tar i feel like we can cover most of tarbian in a very short oh yeah time it is it is highlighted with how, how long was he in tarbian 
two years, I think, right? Oh, it's hills, hillside and waterside. Waterside is the... Uh, Tarbian? Yeah, it was two or three two years. years. Three. three years. So he was three 12 on the Chandrian attack, because I know he was 15 when he left and gained entry to the Arcanum. But regardless, throughout that three years, it is highlighted with uh, confrontations with Pike, which he ends, Quoth ends in a dramatic fashion, really messes Pike up, covers him in, yeah. it's called Dreg, but it's essentially like almost pure alcohol, and then he lights him on fire. Yeah. Wonder where that dude's going to pop back up. Yeah. And there was also, he he, that was also directly after Quoth burned everything that Pike loved. There was like a, a, like a yeah. pony, some strings of hair, like like small sentimental things that Quoth lit on fire and was relishing it. Like after he lit it on fire, yeah. he just stood there for a minute and really enjoyed well, it. Well, I think it's worth noting that, I don't think we said it, but Pike beats him up like that, I think it's that first day. Yeah. Or close to that first day, and a, that's when a time again. he destroys he destroys Quoth's father's loot. Yeah. So Arladin's loot uh, was a very valuable thing. Then they broke it, and yeah, Quoth immediately turns feral again on the streets. Uh, and then there's also a scene, another one of the beginnings. Quoth says is when. Uh, Quoth is in his little hiding spot that he has. It's in between like multiple roofs that meet up, so it's a little dry space that he's found on these roofs. And he hears some commotion down in the alley below him. And I, I'm not sure if it was Pike or just a group of street kids who I think that they were described as being nearly men. And they either raped this eight-year-old boy or... Uh, I, I I think that's what it was. Yeah. Pretty sure. And Quoth couldn't bring himself to help the kid because he, he didn't think that he could help too much and it was right near where he lived, like his little hiding spot. So if he helped, then he would have lost everything that he had in, his, in the tiny bit that he had left. Yeah. Yeah, he said that was probably the most motivation. That was the motivation behind the quoth of the stories that you hear today. Oh, but yeah. then he hears a cool story Definitely. from Scarpy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is uh, this is theoretically another one of the beginnings because it sort of reminds him of the Chandrian and, and what he ultimately ends up thinking, like needing to do with his life, which is figure them out and take them down somehow, get revenge. Scarpy is a storyteller. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> there's actually a lot of theories about who Scarpy like, might be. We also uh, also highlighted in the in those years were um, uh, Trappist. And we actually we hear some yes. really cool stories from Trappist before we hear uh, the stories from Scarpy. He only tells the one, Trappist. Okay. The one we story. hear one cool story from Trappist before we hear <laughs> the cool stories from Scarpy. Yeah, and it was... What was the one that, that Trappist told? It was the one, the kind of, quote-unquote, truth of the Talon Church. Yeah, so it, it it's actually the... It's like the... Cre- almost like the creation myth of the of the Talon Church. It'd be like uh, the coming of, of Talo to the world. So if it were the Bible... It would be the story of 
essentially Jesus's resurrection is kind of the yes. the equivalent yes. of the story that we hear from Trappist in the the Talon Church, which we we get we think that he used to be, or the the book leads you to believe that Trappist used to be a Talon priest, and then uh, stopped doing it to actually take care of all the the Cretans and unfortunate children of Tarbian. Tarbian, yeah. So Trappist is taking care of all these kids. Yeah. He uh, he gives them, you know, whatever food he can find in exchange for small uh, small chores and favors. But I think he he stood out as a sanctuary to a lot of the kids. He was majorly important. Yeah, based on the story that he tells and uh, and just his his gray old robes, uh, folk sort of pegs him as a. Uh, as possibly a former Talon priest. Yeah. And so it makes sense that the story, the story uh, ends up being a religious one. Yeah, so that story was the world was filled with demons and men and but the men were terrible too. Like it was, the world was just full of sin and awfulness, but in that world there was a single woman who was truly good mm-hmm. and was looking out for all of her neighbors even though they were terrible people and then God, uh, Telu, uh, appears to her, and uh, he gets, uh, seems like he gets a little put in his place. Like, he's like, yeah, these are terrible people, they're gonna get what's coming to them. And she's like, well, you don't know what it's like to live here w- yeah. surrounded by demons and and all this stuff. Like, well, I think we should help them. Or I, I would want to help them if I could. So he... Puts a, he puts himself in her womb, more or less. Yeah. Being the omnipotent um, god that he immaculate is, conception. he impregnates her with himself so that he is the father and son of himself. And then it takes him like two months to grow up to be yeah. a, a full-grown man. Yeah. They get uh, confronted by the local townspeople. Thinking he's a then, demon. <laughs> yeah, which... They're not wrong to think that if a, a baby boy turns into a full-grown man in two months. Yeah, it's a little strange. But then he... Wait, wait, hold on. You didn't become a full-grown man in two months? Well, I am I am an exception. I didn't want to, you know, make our audience feel any less than... Demon! Just because I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then it's the... Telu travels the world, essentially giving people a choice to walk either on his side of quote-unquote the path or on the other side and he he gives them he gives them punishment and then once they accept their punishment they are forgiven classic they repent and are forgiven and then they are on his path and he eventually comes across a particular demon and then is following that demon for a long time. In Canis. Who uh, has a lot of similarities with some other possible characters. Haliax. Or some other character. Yeah, Haliax, the cafe. There's a very dramatic tied. Telu ties in Canis to a giant iron wheel. And I'm bringing all this up because it, it plays into how the world works today. Like, the people's understanding of demons not liking iron is probably insanely connected to this story. 
demons, like myths and stories involve iron being uh, the kryptonite to demons. And that's kind of where that was the the major takeaway from uh yeah, Trappist's story. Telu uh so and Telu is like the god of of the world like people will say you know, Telu blah blah blah, Telu take it, Telu anyway, all this stuff. Yeah, Telu anyway is yeah. is said constantly. So this is and then in this story he you know he you said he, he catches up with Incanus and finds him to the wheel and all that so he quote unquote defeats Incanus mm-hmm. so he is hailed as the god there was one part in that story that I found interesting uh, Taylor says that everyone in this world dies save one and the one that you're thinking that you want to think is Taylor he means himself he doesn't die but then in the story, he dies. Like he he dies along with Encanus. Was that some prophecy in the story about somebody else? Even though, you know, you would you would be led to believe that he was talking about himself. But anyways, that's a small detail that would not be able to be yeah. confirmed until book three at least. <laughs> but that was it for Trappist's story. I feel like we could we could talk forever about Scarpy's stories. Yeah, especially since the second one. That one is a very different uh, story of someone with the name Taylor. It's telling a kind of alternate version of the story that we of Trappist's story that we just talked about. Yeah. Or it doesn't cover the same things, but it it is explaining the beginning of the Talon Church in an extremely different way, which only one of them can be true. It seems like Quoth takes Scarpy's stories as fact. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, Quoth is telling his story to all of us and to Chronicler as though Scarpy's stories are the factual ones and Trappist's is more right. just like a, a religious myth, as it were, or, or religious lore. Yeah, and he he actually confronts Denna in the second book about her song because the her song is factually opposing to yes. uh, Scarpy's story. Yes. So he he really does believe the, like the love of his life. He ends up yelling at, doing things he would not want to do, because of how how he holds this story to be truth, to be fact. Yeah. The, this story is Bible for him. The the Lanre story, which I mean, I guess we may as well uh, jump into the into that story as far as. Uh, yeah. Take it away. Well, I guess first we'll say. Uh, Scarpy, he just because he's this is how he's described. He's a thin and weathered man, his thick white hair on his arms, face, and head, a deep dark tan, and is very old compared to fifteen-year-old quote anyway. And, and I do like this this quote about it: eyes like diamonds and the body of a driftwood scarecrow, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is cool. So. Uh, he's very old, and he uh, he very much uh, seems to know things, and he both is immediately taken in by his storytelling. Yep. As one of the Adimaru, he values stories very highly. But he does seem to have a, a weakness for Scarpy that he hasn't had for other people in the past. Like, he, like, it's not that this story is true. It's not that, you know, he's just a great storyteller. There seems to be a bit of magic-y kind of thing going on. Well, there are uh, some speculation that, uh. that Scarpy is 
uh, possibly a member of the Emir. Some Ooh. some think some think that he's Selatos, one of the original Emir. Whoa. And then also some say that he he is uh, the Cathay, which is strange. They think Scarpy is the Cathay. I suspect that Scarpy is the Cathay. Because Whoa. he talks to Kvoth, and by sending him on a path away from Tarbian, he's responsible for everything that happened after. Uh. I don't know. It's a, it's a strange. That's a strange theory. But then this is another theory that that is uh, more along, uh, maybe possibly more likely that he's possibly Taberlin because he addresses everyone by their names, <gasps> and he knows their past and knows them truly, suggesting he knows all the names, much like Taberlin is described to do. And his old age would add to this. Because he wow. does, he he calls Quoth by his name yeah, without Quoth ever he, telling him his name. Nope. And that, yeah, Quoth does not tell him his and name. And a lot He's of people, just an audience member. A lot of people think that Scarpy called Quoth's true name to get him to leave when he was being taken. Oh, so it wasn't Quoth didn't kind of choose to leave. He was being manipulated yeah, by Taberlin. I think that in in the book, the way it's described, it's like. Quoth is like sort of between jumping in and helping him because he doesn't want to lose yeah. Scarpy and fleeing because you know there's nothing he can do, and right. that's when Scarpy goes, Quoth, you should leave. But you know when someone calls the name of something, if you don't know its name, like its true name, you just hear wind or iron or fire or whatever. Right. So he, he you know, maybe he, at this point when you're that age, do you even really know your own true name? So he would just hear Quoth. Wow. It's, an, it's an interesting uh, theory. That's deep. It's an interesting I theory. like that. <laughs> the small thematic thing that I liked is before he started telling these stories, he said something along, along the lines of, or they were talking about stories, Quoth and, yeah. and uh, Scarpy. Quoth asked him how many stories he knew, and he says something along the lines of, I only know one. Yep. But it's uh, it can be told in many parts or something along those yeah, lines. Yeah, basically, like, he, like, everything is the story. And I just tell yeah. certain certain pieces of it, right? Which is which kind of really makes cool. you think that he knows everything. Yes, it, it really does. Or at least he is a man who wants a child, which, these children, to believe that he knows. Yes, everything. that is also very true. But this also kind of ties into the whole he's somehow the Cathay um, aspect because he is a knower. Because the Cathay is a knower, and he seems to also be a knower. Yeah. And you you also touched on, and this sort of ties into Scarpy too. You touched on the priest that Kvos saw that he couldn't see his face. It was like a cow of shadow. Oh yeah. So after after that is when the priest, more priests come and take Scarpy away. So a- after we hear these these couple stories, which we're definitely going to dive into, we keep we keep not diving into them. We're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll put off. No no that no part no no we'll no. Just... Do this. Do this. Okay, so after uh, we hear the two stories, and I think it's after he gets taken away, Quoth is on the streets, he's on the roofs, and he sees uh, someone dressed in the robes of a Talon priest, but his face is fully encased in blackness. Which, I mean, it's nighttime, it could easily not be a magical blackness, or it could be Haliax, who has been summoned because Scarpy has said the, the name Lanre like 20 times in the past uh, what however amount of time uh to tell these stories yeah. and you know now he told it to a bunch of these little kids and they're all they're all saying his name 
Yeah, and I mean, Scarpy's language, while he's telling the story of Lanre, and speaking of the other original Amir, is very, like, archaic, and he speaks in a very certain way. So, in that way, it, it sort of brings in this idea that he might be saying true names of things. Uh -huh. He might speak in names, if you will. <laughs> Dang. Oh, man, that's epic. I'm going to have to reread that part of the book. <laughs> I just thought he was like a really dope storyteller. I mean, he might just quote, he might just a be himself. For he might just be yeah. his own thing. But obviously, you know, fans and and people are always looking to connect things, and so they've drawn right. these connections, and they're cool ideas. Who we'll see what ends up being true. Yeah, that makes sense. It would be it would be really cool if that if that were true. So I think why yeah I think why start why start the whole thing with the story of Taverland if. If you're not going to get some Taverland somewhere, right? Anyway. Yeah. yeah. But you, you want to dive into these yes, stories let's, more Yes, let's go now. into the into Lanre's story. Lanre is a... He's a hero. He's... At the time, he is one of... Uh, one of the people trying to defend the seven great cities against uh, this invading army. There's a, it's They're called the Creation War. Yes, so that, Creation that War. That war is called the Creation War. So it's basically the story of a very... Uh, very terrible conflict. The sh the shapers are are trying to use their craft. We learn more about it from Felurian uh, in the second book. But the knowers were nearly defeated because the knowers were one of the one of the the groups. They were the ones that like the Myrtorenial and the, stuff like that. the leaders of the seven cities. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. So Lanre, I think it starts with Selatos, right? The the story. Selatos is the leader of Myrtorenial, which is the greatest of the seven cities i think it was the last of the seven the cities. last yeah one. probably the so the yeah during the creation war happened it, the war was going on for a long time and uh, a lot of terrible stuff happened but these seven cities were uh, defended for the most part and they were still like a good place to live especially mere terennial yeah and uh, yeah and i've I never heard these names again after this, but the cities were Belen, Antis, Veyret, Tanusa, Emlyn, and the twin cities of Marilla and Morella. Uh, remind me, because you just read Wise Man's Fear recently. There's a letter yep. that is sent to the university, and the address of the university, I think it says something about Belen, oh. right? Barrow, something. It's because it de there's definitely a uh, an address that is on this letter, and that address points to it possibly like it being on the land where one of these cities was destroyed, and the under thing being basically one of these cities. It's Bellany Baron. Okay. Okay, that's the. And what's what? What's the first? Or the the seven cities? What are they? Bellin Barrow. Bellany Baron, Bellany Baron, and Bellin Barrow. Bellin Antis Veret. Okay, so Bellin Barrow. Yeah. Oh, okay, so <laughs> it's built on one of the so, seven cities. So, well, it's not this is, So it's. I think it's in the the Adem's version of the story, where yep. Lanre and Lyra save Bellin, and the address okay. of the university is Bellany Baron. Yeah. So in the in in um, Scarpy's story. Mere Terennial was defended by Selatos. Yeah. And the other six cities were, they put their faith in Lanre's right. arm, like his strength of sword, and he was fighting with 
his wife Lyra. Yeah. And in the story, Lanre dies, and Lyra brings him back to life. She she calls his name like five times, and then finally on the fifth time he comes back from death, and uh, yeah, uh, says her name. An act that turns the tide of the war. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's there's a lot of hope. Lyra brought Lanre back from the dead. There's no way we can lose. And then I don't know where it turns from there. Like, how does it go from that happy time to sad days? Uh, so, I think it goes to sad days because Lyra ends up getting killed. And Lanre can't bring her back. But he also, I think he discovers pretty much that he can't die and can't sleep. Or in his quest to try and bring Lyra back, he, uh does some pretty unspeakable things as far as his, you know one might say he he Voldemort's it more or less like like does some does some crazy shit to his soul so, so he he, oh, shit, he fucks himself yeah. up and that's how he becomes a chandrian trying to get Lyra back yeah i mean maybe she brought him back through one of the doors yeah can't and now he can't, that's the only yeah, one so that must be the the death door yeah. so he he can't sleep. He's not mad, and he can't forget. Probably that is that would make a lot of sense if he once you go past the door of death, being brought back through it means you yeah, can no yeah, longer. All the other doors are closed. And I imagine that. I well, I guess he could probably die. Um, it would make sense that he can die if if he has uh, enemies right. that he fears. Uh, the Amir, the 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 Sith, etc. Mm-hmm. The singers, yeah, the singers, yeah. but yeah, he 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 can find no comfort in in sleep or forgetting or uh, or madness, which that also sort of drives home that he is entirely sane. If he if he cannot find uh, if his mind can't find refuge in madness, yeah, I mean when we see Haliax, because we're be- we're led to believe that Haliax is Lonre, yes. And, um, I mean, in Scarpy's second story... Selatos makes him into into uh, the shadowed, but puts the shadow around his face. Right. And he proclaims himself to be Haliax. He's like, I am no longer Lanre. I am Haliax. Um, he changes his name in the, in the story, uh, betrays everything. There was some confusing parts, like... Like he was hung, Lanre was hung up on the fact that he was one of the best people in the world, and even I, meaning Lanre, did all of this, as in burned the other six cities to the ground. Yeah, I think he, uh, like he, he's bemoaning the idea that, or not maybe not bemoaning, but just sort of proving the idea that even he was good, but he went bad like it's sort of like that uh that that batman quote right you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain right so he well he did he, both he died a hero but then was pulled back through the the door of death obviously that doesn't uh and then lost lyra and wasn't able to bring her back he could not do for her what she did for him yeah well i mean he when he comes back he's an excellent namer Yes, he has gained all sorts of power. Somehow. I don't know why. It is not or... clear. 
But if he, you know, he came back an excellent namer, better than the best namer, which was Celatos, but I guess maybe still not enough to bring back Lyra, or maybe it was, I don't know. It, the story doesn't go into too much detail there, but yeah, he's definitely a sad boy now. Yeah, I mean, so basically, yeah, he becomes super sad, and so in the years following her bringing him back, she dies, and it's it's either natural causes or it's unknown. In it could be it could be either. Um, it's generally agreed, though, from what I understand, that the loss of his wife drives him into grief-stricken madness. So I guess maybe he he can uh, suffer madness, but he he ends up trying to obtain any power that might resurrect her and i think it's said somewhere maybe by by the adem or by bast i can't remember that he meets with the cathay and that's what drives him to destroy these cities yeah so in the story uh it says then rumors began to spread lyra was ill lyra had been kidnapped lyra had died yeah lanre had fled the empire lanre yeah. had gone mad so he tries to, he, yeah, so he thinks he gets enough power to complete a resurrection of Lyra, but it doesn't work. So oh, he tries to so he tries to kill himself, but he finds out that his new power makes him unable to die, or sleep, or forget. So his only refugee is madness, I suppose. And that's when he uh, changes himself to Haliax. And so, Ooh. in his despair, he lays waste to seven of the eight cities, where and he amasses the following of the six other beings. Who come to be known as the Chandrian, and he does destroy Myrtoriniel because wow. he binds Celatos by his own name and forces him to watch. <laughs> There's a little bit in there where he sounds a lot like Darth Vader. Yeah, like the stuff around Lyra. Yes, like his yeah the, Lyra the and eventual... Do you think he sat on uh, a beach with her and told her that he didn't like sand? I mean, who likes sand? Uh, sand I is mean, great, it, you know? Gets nice and warm it's, in the sun. It's uncomfortable. It's coarse. It gets, it gets everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just, ugh. <laughs> Mega cringe. Omega cringe. Hey, eat, this, <laughs> eat this fruit that I'm floating in the air for you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was the first That was the first story that Scarpy tells, and both was just fully entranced by it. Yeah. Like, it was like he lived He lived it. I think, the yeah, the only other uh, bit of information at the end of that story is that Celatos turns down Lanre's, or Haliax's, invitation to join them, and then he curses them with what are known in the current time as their signs. That is the that is the ending of the story. Because he, he says, oh, I, I, I want to be able to see you coming. Because even my great sight, because Celatos is supposed to have amazing sight. He's supposed to be able to see things, uh, but he did not see this. So he says, my, my sight has failed me never again. And I know there are theories about like he what he stabbed his eye out with. And I'm looking at the story. I don't see anything in here about Obsidian. Like I'm, I feel like that was... Obsidian. No, it was in book two. What's described oh. in in the lackless box it sounds like glass or stone uh-huh yeah so he, okay, you said we'll you said obsidian he says using a stone of mountain glass which yeah i guess that obsidian makes the most sense for that right but i don't know why that would be in the lackless box yeah i don't i don't think it is i think i i personally very heavily think that that it's the 
piece of the moon, or uh, possibly the the way to open the door that like built the fair on. Blah blah blah. Uh, yeah, it. I mean, Selatos is. It's speculated that he's still living. Maybe he is. Uh, maybe he's Scarpy. Maybe he's not. I mean, Valorian in book two apparently affirms his immortality. I, why was he, why is he immortal? Uh, I don't know. I mean, some people think that Selatos is the Cathay. Oh my god! Because Lanray supposedly spoke spoke to the Cathay before he destroyed Mutarenial, and in Scarpy's story, Lanray spoke to Selatos before the city was sacked. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's there's a lot of options. <clears throat> but anyways, so he finishes telling the story. Actually, uh, sorry, just really quick, because you, you mentioned that it's possible that the stone he used to put out his eye is in the lockless box, which some people some people think that that is the case, uh, it, and that that stone may have some importance in the downfall of Haliax. Hmm. Like it's a weapon. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's plenty of there's plenty of dragon glass or whatever in Game of Thrones. That's a, that's a specific weakness to people. <clears throat> it's not brought up too often in, in this, outside of these stories, but it seems like um, obsidian and copper are the are the yeah. special... Yeah, because copper uh, is something that... Copper has no name. It can stop namers. Yeah, it has no name, so it can kind of you can weave it into things to befuddle namers. I was always curious when we, we go to the rookery and mm -hmm. there's like copper in the walls yeah like why is there copper because copper isn't strong I'm pretty sure copper is not it's, a very strong it's matter. specifically Metal. to make it so a namer can't command the stone of the walls it, it has no name and it probably uh, fucks with the name of things I mean even like Elodin when he's brings uh, Kvothe into that room and he's like ah so I just said break and he's like they changed it what the heck and then when he finally does see the name of the stone he breaks it and there's like that copper mesh throughout it right yeah we also hear oh, no, let's let, <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves there. talk more about book two but let's yeah let's, let's yeah let's finish up uh is there anything more about i guess the 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 this story has the battle of or the black of dross and tor which it's you know it's just sort of said, like, oh, yeah, the battle, uh, the Black of Dross and Tor. It's never really uh, described the significance of that. I mean, aside from, I guess, people think that uh, the beast that Lonray slays at Dross and Tor is an enraged Dracus. But, I mean, I see Dross and Tor, and it sounds very Germanic, because mm -hmm. Tor means door, right? So is that is this battle at a specific door perhaps uh, a four-plate one or something of that nature? The waystones are also a doorway. I yeah. wonder if I mean, is the four plate door is there only one set of four plate doors? I mean, so Dross and Tor, maybe the original location of the doors of stone? Yeah, book three, doors of stone. Oh, that's the title of book three? Yeah. Man, I feel like I'm constantly playing catch up. Oh, you didn't even know that the book three was was titled Doors of Stone? I mean, I might have heard it before, but I never, <clears throat> like, committed it to memory or knew the significance of... I knew that the, the doors inside of the Arcanum, inside the library, those are the special doors. Yeah. Which, 
if students aren't supposed to know about that thing, why don't they just put like bookshelves in front of it or something? <laughs> uh, I would imagine because someone needs to be able to access it. Okay, fine. But you know, in a world of artifice and magic, why can't they make some, you know, uh, bookshelves on a on a secret hinge or something, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. God, they need to get their get their get their stuff together. So, uh, any other points on this first story? I mean, it's pretty pivotal. I think that's it for now. I feel like yeah, we could speculate for a long time, but that's as much as we know. Second story, there is not much to because he's interrupted pretty. Uh, pretty quickly into the telling of it and it sounds like it's the formation of the order amir which is one of the enemies of the of the chandrian mm -hmm. uh and selitos one eye is further empowering these powerful people to help fight haliax yeah and this one starts quoth is late for the story so we don't hear the very beginning of it it just gets he he walks in and it starts with Selitos talking to somebody saying... Oh, Lord. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I spoke wrong. Uh, it's Selitos meets with Aleph. Aleph is like God, right? He is he is the beginning and the end. He is the creator and all that. Aleph is uh -huh. is the God. I think even when Quoth is uh, starting the story with Chronicler, he's like, oh, so in the beginning, Aleph, blah, 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 right? So he's trying to recruit the namer of Selitos into a sect known as the Angels. Oh, a sort of karmic force that the being installs on Temerant following the conclusion of the creation war, right? Okay, so after Lonray sacks the city, after the creation war, after all yeah. this stuff. So Selitos declines that because he wouldn't be able to seek vengeance against Haliax for the loss of Myrterenial. So instead, Selitos forms the Order Amir and vows to confound the Chandrian in an attempt to attain the greater good. And that's basically. Oh, that was the whole story. This. Well, I I know that there's a part where he's talking to someone named Talu. Yeah, this is where it, it it introduces us to all those different names, people that we haven't met yet, like Tall Kirill, Enlas, who would not carry a sword or eat the flesh of animals. Yeah, it's just like it's a description of all these characters that seem really important and powerful, but outside of the story, they're never spoken of again. Well, so this is where Felurian sort of uh, points Selitos as a as an immortal because she claims that there were never any human Amir. Oh, I see. So it would rule him out from being even being human, yeah. In the first place, yeah. So would if he was the leader of one of the seven cities, were any of the other were those were they all immortal? Well, I, I think a, I think a bunch of war, the so. I think a bunch of I think the other leaders of the cities joined Lanre, and yeah, they're the, the they're the Chandrian. Um, yeah, but <clears throat> after that much briefer story, uh, yes. is when Scarpy gets uh, abducted, essentially. Yeah, most likely because he's saying, like, it's specifically right around the time that he says that Taylu had his like wings ripped off or some shit like that, and was going to be sent sent down to Earth, quote unquote. Um, and this Talon priest, you know, like fingers over to his cronies, and they they drag Scarpy away in chains, more or less. And Kvoth is there, and he sort of wants to, he wants to help, but he doesn't. You know, he's not sure what he can do. And uh, but Scarpy calls Kvoth by his name, which I'm pretty darn sure he Kvoth never actually mentioned that he told Scarpy his name. If he told Scarpy his name. And, but 
Scarpy says, you should probably just leave, Quoth. And oh, yeah, and he does it on the sly, too. He doesn't look yeah. at Quoth. He just, he's, you know, he's being... He just says it out loud. ...arrested. Yeah, he says it in no particular direction. Yeah, but in the story, right before we leave it, Aleph spoke their long names, and they were wreathed in white fire. The fire danced along their wings, and they became swift. The fire flickered in their eyes, and they saw into the deepest hearts of men. The fire filled their mouths, and they sang songs of power. Then the fire settled on their foreheads like silver stars, and they became at once right eos and wise. Oh. <laughs> that was... A, it's righteous. <laughs> righteous and wise. Okay, so was that, actually, that was Aleph making his angels, his karmic force. Then the fire consumed them, and they were gone forever from mortal sight. Okay, so, oh yeah, karmic force. So they're hidden from, from sight, and they are just there to provide... None but if the most powerful good. can see them. Yeah. None but the most powerful can see them, and only then, with great difficulty and at great peril, they mete out justice to the world. And Talu is the greatest of them all. Okay. And that's when the that's when the interruption happens. Interesting. So, so I guess that would say that it's blasphemous because in the church Talu is, is God. God. Yeah. But in this story, Talu is an angel. And yeah. Aleph the most is powerful. God. Yeah. See, and it's also that's interesting. Is like, are they one of the Amir Sith or Sith or singers? Perhaps they're the change in uh, this karmic angelic force that only the most powerful can see. Either it's them, or somehow someone uh, learned how to do this. You know, these songs yeah. of power. Because remember because when uh, when Cinder is talking to Kvothe after they killed the family, they you know there was a change in the air and they and it felt like they were being watched. And then Heliax right. looked and was like, "They come." So maybe this is part of that like precursor is the the sort of feeling of this karmic force. Um, and and if Kvothe could even feel a little bit of their power, that sort of speaks to his own uh, ability. Right. I think I think the the part that makes me think about this section is in book two. Also, uh, Simon asks Quoth where he would want to go if he could go anywhere, and uh, his eventual answer is it's to a different civilization where they're known for singing. Like there, there's something special about their singing, which makes me think that there is a completely separate part of the world that might incorporate these quote-unquote singers or people that know these songs of power. Okay, so it's Tallenwald is, ah. is where he expresses it, is and meet the notorious singers called the Tall. But they're they're sort of, uh, they live east of the Stormwall which I think the, the Adem live, what, west of the Stormwall? I don't know, but I, I my brain blanked because when you said what are those people called? The tall, T A H L, tall or the or the tall, the Tallenwald. Go to the Tallenwald. One of the names of these people that Aleph was talking to was Tall Kirill. Well, there you go. Sorry, uh, we're just we're means... just learning things in the middle of a podcast. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, we're we're clearly uh, clearly knowledgeable encyclopedias and all this <laughs> stuff, right? <laughs> You're on an adventure with us. Forgive us. And, I mean, it would make sense that 
Kvothe wants to go meet people who whose songs can do such magic because because he just likes music he likes music and and he likes magic he maybe he's a singer maybe maybe he is is the meeting of singer knower namer maybe he is the meeting of all these things Ooh, that'd be cool seer I, I, but he's not really a seer is he I mean, he has been criticized for not seeing. Yeah, yeah, very much so. By Puppet. And by his jumping to certain rash actions. But he also, he definitely does see, you know, his unconscious mind. He he beats Fulurian in a duel, so. Yeah, he well, he calls her her true name. He calls the wind and then her name, yeah. But, but I mean. It, I don't think you, he called the, well, Elodin says he didn't call the wind. He says he called her true name. I think and Eldon's pretty smart. He does call he does call the wind, but he says he doesn't think that that was all he called. He he thinks it was more than that. Like cause yeah, in in the story, he like uh, wraps her in a in a like sphere of air. He's for sure calling wind while he does that. But I, the the whole reason I bring that up is uh, chasing the name of the wind and seeing things. You don't always know the name of the wind because it's changing. And so you kind of have to see the name of the wind around you before you can say it. So he does do at least some seeing. And I didn't want to rule out that option. Because he definitely does do some seeing. Even though that's not what he's known for. He doesn't do a lot of it. But compared to some other very strong characters. So he get, Scarpy gets taken away. Yeah. But he is not... Not concerned at all. He gets beaten up a little bit, but he's like, I've got friends in the church, don't worry about me. He's actively taunting these priests to their faces. He seems to know things about them. Yeah, he doesn't see... He he acts like he's in no trouble whatsoever. Like He's like, oh, I've got friends in the church, don't worry, but he's, he's very confident. <laughs> Perhaps uh, the confidence of someone who knows that no, no cell or... Uh... Or room can hold him. Taberlin the Great. <laughs> what? <laughs> he said at some point he says something like, "Your God hates you far more than he hates me," or something along those lines. It's not as if I expect you to bound off looking for Haliax and the Seven yourself. Small deeds for small men, I always say. I imagine the trouble is in finding the job small enough for men such as yourselves. But you were resourceful. You could pick trash or check brothels for lice when you were visiting. And went on to add that Taylu hates you even more than the rest of the world does, which is quite a bit. Oh, yeah, that's that was the one I was thinking of. <laughs> These stories, they mark the end of his uh, life in Tarbian, because after this, he essentially opens his mind back up to his life and everything, and he finds that it's not um, not as painful as it used to be. Like he, it's still a, uh, it's still painful, but it's a, it's a much duller pain um, mm-hmm. now that he's had years and uh, a time between between now and the event. He finally opens up Abanthi's book and encouraging him to go to the university. So he starts his journey to the university. Yeah, which part of that is uh, he has to pawn the book, or he he gets. Uh, money for it at a the broken binding a, a bookshop yep uh which we're and he is clever again immediately 
Yes. He uh, he outwits the the owner of the shop or, or the worker there, whichever it is. Um, takes that money, gets himself cleaned up, gets food, a, a really good bath, goes in and Says goodbye plays to a Trappist. noble's... Well, yeah, he goes and plays a noble son, basically, to uh, oh, yes. to get clothes and, and act, you know, superior and, and boss people around so that he can get what he needs in a quick and timely manner. He ends up with some shoes and, and things like that, something he hadn't had in a long time, which uh, it's one part of this whole Tarbian thing that is really, uh, it is instilled within Quoth is uh, the value of money. And Rothfuss does a very good job of... So, throughout the book because Quoth is never you know rich and if he does get a lot like a big chunk of money he never has it for long and it's he does a very good job of putting into perspective how, how much this money means to Quoth by describing like oh this much money could get me this it could get me that it could do this and that all these things that I could never have when I, you know when he was an urchin on these streets so I think it's uh, yeah, that is it one was, of the big takeaways from this it was also hard for him to get out of the habit of earning not eating, that like, tiniest yeah, amount leaving of a money. meal yeah leaving like, a meal exactly the um, the part before he left the city was he before he got his clothes and his shoes um, he paid for the bath first and the guy who gave him the bath was offered him like I'll give you this much money to you know scrub the um, it was either the fireplace or some something. It'll take. I think like, it was dishes. Whatever it was, it was like I'll give you a pretty decent wage to clean these dishes for X amount of time, and then after he got his clothes and his shoes, he realized that he didn't want to, and that was a really weird feeling for him. Like the the quote from the day before would have found that would have been a godsend. Like having that opportunity to to work and earn a little bit of money, um, yeah. But now he is he's in a completely new part of his life, and that does not include doing dishes for you know a penny or something. Yeah, I think it was two copper pennies. Yeah. So not even that much. Um, but yeah, he, so he gets earns his uh, or he pays his way into a caravan to the to the university or the nearest town to um, Imre maybe. And um, we meet some interesting characters, and one extremely important recurring character. Yeah. Someone that Quoth has an instant, uh, instant attraction to, if you will. She says to call her Denna, but Denna is is Quoth's utter weakness in a lot of ways going forward. At least once he meets her again. But they're both. Uh, in the throes of teenage awkwardness. Angst. Awkwardness, yes. <laughs> yeah. She is far less awkward than him. She seems uh, much more comfortable with herself. He is incredibly awkward. But after the the awkwardness between Denna and Yeah, Quoth, they, they spend a lot of time together, and uh, there definitely seems to be a bit of a, a, a connection or attraction. Yep, there's a spark. Good word, spark. But it doesn't last too long because they arrive and he gets to the university. He... Yeah, they arrive. She heads one way. She says she's going to uh, Adua? No. Uh, something with an A. She's heading further north, I want to say, and he's heading over the river to the university. 
So she has some knowledge about where he'll be. And they will eventually yeah. meet up later. So he gets to the university and goes straight for the archive because that's where he'll find or that's where he thinks he'll find all of the information he could want for about the Chandrian. But he is barred from entry because he's not a student there. And then he goes for his entrance exam. And he gets a little he gets a little leg up as a street urchin. He uses he sneaks into the the test taking area and he watches other people take their an audition. <laughs> yeah, it's essentially yeah. That's probably a great word for it. Yeah, you stand in front of all the masters of the school and they ask you individual questions related to their fields and depending on how well you do it reflects in your tuition for that term so the better yep. the better you do the cheaper it is both gets in early hears a lot of the questions cheats but is also he is also very smart they don't ask him all the same they don't ask every student the same question so he ends up answering a lot of questions that he hadn't heard before and there's actually yeah. Uh, I saw when he does super well. They, I mean, they, that's when they start like upping the difficulty. Yep, and, and they got like, to oh. some really difficult questions for Quoth. Questions without answers, in some cases. Yeah, I saw an interview with Patrick Rothfuss where he was talking about this interview. There's a question about um, math. There's like a try. It's essentially fill in the blank here. There's the length of two sides of the triangle and the angle in between the two sides. And the yeah. answer that Quoth gives is quote unquote correct, but in the real world, the answer is actually wrong. Like he says, it's like six and a half feet even, but it's not that at all. <laughs> That's actually just straight up wrong, and nobody nobody corrected him on it. Math in math in one world, does it have to be the same? Some would say yes. I would say yes. Math is math, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe not. Uh. Who cares? I, I. You'd have to be a really special type of person to do out that math in this fantasy book, and then that be the deciding factor as to why you can't go continue on. Nope, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's see, you, you say that, but if I start reading something, not necessarily a book, just anything, and like the grammar is wrong or they use the wrong there, that ir illegible, that's true. can't read it, that's unreadable. True. <laughs> but he uh, answers a lot of great questions. I think we'll go over those questions some more in the future when they come up. But yeah, we get I... introduced to more to the masters. But we'll talk about each master and and probably the next episode when we yeah we'll start the university proper. Yeah, an introduction to everybody's classes. He gets along with most, but not all. Cla okay, so uh, Elliot is obviously the. Uh, the sorcerer, I guess you'd probably say. No, maybe he's the wizard. Elidin is no, Elidin's the sorcerer. Uh, Elxadal's the, the the wizard, and then Kilvin, I guess he, you know, artificer, obviously. Um, so what does that leave everyone else? You know, who's the fighter? Who's the rogue? They don't have that. No, there's no, nobody. <laughs> you said I know. You said everyone's. We'll talk about everyone's classes at just after saying something about the masters. Oh, I see. I, I was on a tangent. Masters. When he's yes, yeah. When he's in their their <laughs> university classes. Uh, yeah, I was on a tangent about D and D classes because you said the word classes. <laughs> Screw D and D, man. Ugh. Whoa. What the no, fuck, no, I'm joking. Man. I was. <laughs> uh, nope. 
just oh, look at, look at look at look at my wrist. Radal's dying. <laughs> <laughs> it's Radal Death O'Clock. Yeah. Oh, there's that name again. Radal. Weird. <clears throat> but he uh, does really well on the test. He gets actually charged a negative tuition. Yeah, they they pay him to attend. Yeah, he he gives a very rousing speech uh, at the end after all their questions, and they ask him if, if there's anything else he'd like to add, and he he chimes in with this really convincing little plea, essentially, it's like if you charge me less than two talents or less, then I'll I'll be I'll work hard and make it work, and I'll I'll be a great student. But if you give me three talents and give me a place to sleep and actually allow me to learn then I'll be the best student that you've ever seen and a lot of the masters like his uh, his moxie. I was going to use that word too good one. Yeah and so yeah they give him a minus three talents yeah uh, and I think there is one small uh, piece of information that happens after that when, when he's talking to Master Lauren where Master Lauren asks him if his father was Arladin the Bard. Ah. Because that, you know, we don't, we, we think, oh, our, you know, his father's dead, da da da. This isn't a Demon Root troop. How well known are they? Apparently, well known enough that they are known, or that Arladin at least is known at the university by Master Lauren in some way. Yeah, as the Bard. Yeah, Arladin the Bard. And, I mean, Quoth has this whole inner dialogue with himself, like, well, he never called himself a Bard, but... Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that, that Master Lord knew... derogatory about his father. Like, yeah. Well, he wasn't a Bard, he was a Dimaru. But he was Arladin the Bard. Right. Like, he's not just yeah, any totally Arladin. About he that. is... He is the Arladin. Which is kind of cool. I don't think anything's come of it since, but it's a, it's a cool little... Uh, cool little piece of information there. Absolutely. And we'll we'll learn some more small truths from Master Lauren. Oh yes, Master Lauren, the one that a lot of people think is a member of the Order Amir, and that is why he is the archivist of the university is to preserve knowledge, and that is one of the charges of the Amir. But I believe we are at the end of our time for. No, it can't be. Can't be right. We didn't have any disgusting dick jokes this episode. You said you pulled something out of your butt. When did it? That's pretty close. Oh, that was figurative. Oh. Oh. I didn't pull something out of my butt. Well, you didn't pull a dick out of your butt? <laughs> the, <laughs> the one that I jellied in there. You're reaching. You're reaching. Oh, sorry. Gross. I'm giving you a reach around? Is that what you said? Oh, man. Now you're just you're <laughs> trying to gross me out. Look, look. It's, it's, it's been like a full week since I was able to put my head on your on your glorious glorious person when you <laughs> wrapped me in just the best hug it was, when, was the, a... the, the, the hug, whenever i give you a hug it, you, it okay first of all i'm not giving you a hug you're giving me a hug i feel like a <laughs> child being hugged by an adult because <laughs> our size difference is just that drastic does it make you feel safe oh yes quite good that's why i rest my head against your your uh I want to say ample bosom, but you yeah. don't have an ample bosom. But you do compared I for sure to my, do, the size of my head. I mean, compared <laughs> to most men, it's definitely an ample bosom. <laughs> when I put my head against your ample bosom, it, it is very, uh, very comforting. And I feel very <laughs> safe. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a good. And we totally didn't play tack. We but we had mentioned yeah, we could play tack, and then we, we didn't. didn't. We're the worst. I think you can find it online, so we can play online. Oh, that's what I was gonna say. We'll have to. Yeah, yeah. I've never placed a wall before in tack. Really? We just do. We just do a bunch of roads. We haven't gotten that far to where like really need you, to. Really, you, you've never played like? Have you used capstone at least? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. But anyways, let's say goodnight. Good night. I have been Taylor. Oh. And I have been John, and now I'm going to go somewhere else and be not John. Definitely someone else. No, don't change your name. No, I have a conditional identity. You should know better. But this is the Banter Book Club. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.